0: Welcome to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast, brought to you by Focal Audio, the world's reference speaker. For over 30 years, Focal has been designing and manufacturing loudspeakers for the home, speaker drivers for cars, studio monitors for recording studios, and premium quality headphones. Visit Focal.com for more information. And now your hosts, Joey Sturges, Joe Lanisek, and Al Levy.
1: Welcome to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast. I am AL Levy. With me is Mr. Joel Wanasek. Joe Sturgis. Hey. hey. Yeah, Joe Sturgis is traveling again. He's on a plane somewhere. And uh, with us is our wonderful guest, Mr. Kyle Black. Hello. Yeah, hello. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's a, it's a pleasure. We're, ex- we're excited to have you. Those of you who don't know who he is, he you should know who he is. Worked with all kinds of awesome bands like 5 Seconds of Summer, Hit the Lights, New Found Glory, Comeback Kid, All Time Low, Set Your Goals, Stick to Your Guns, State Champs, on and on and on and on and on. Yes, sir. And... Uh, I have a question. Yeah, go for it. You live in West Hollywood right now, right? North Hollywood. I'm not that cool.
2: How do you get anything done living in LA? Uh, it's tough. There's definitely a lot of distractions, but you just gotta stay in your cave and keep rocking.
1: Everyone I know from there who's in the music industry, pretty much, except for I guess except for some producers, are out and about every single night.
2: Like every night.
3: That's crazy. Yeah,
2: going to shows is certainly a big part of living out here and definitely one of the benefits and certainly helps finds the acts I want to work with and all that stuff, you know. So I do sp- I go to I go to a show at least on average once a week. Interesting. So are you from California? Yeah. Um, I was born in Chicago, but then uh, grew up a, l- a little bit in San Diego, and then pretty much been growing up here in L.A. since I was six years old.
3: I was just say, you're from by me. I'm from Milwaukee, so, you know.
2: Oh, nice. Yeah, my whole extended family life. lives out there.
3: I'm sorry. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Milwaukee. Milwaukee's all right. I like
1: it. No, nah, it's great. Yeah. I don't know, Joel. Last, when I was just there, in, uh, and I was in downtown Milwaukee, it was kind of rough, but... I don't know. Anyways. Uh,
2: so, what part of Milwaukee are you from?
3: Uh, well, I grew up in a suburb called New Berlin, and now I live in a uh, city called Menominee Falls, which is essentially just like North Milwaukee, you know, suburbs.
2: Cool. Right on. And, Isle, you're in uh, Orlando, right? I have a studio in Orlando,
1: but I live in Atlanta. Right on. Cool. It's kind of a lot of travel. Yeah. I just, uh, I have a hatred for Florida, and... Uh, I was involved with a studio called Audio Hammer out there for many years, did lots of metal records, and when I decided to do this stuff Uh full-time, was no longer with Audio Hammer, was like, well, you know what? I hate Florida. I am not going to live here anymore. Really? Um, But then um, Andrew Wade offered me a room at his new studio, and I couldn't say no, because... Cool, because I couldn't, and the so the place is gorgeous. So, yeah, I, uh, so he doesn't really hate awesome.
3: Florida.
1: <laughs> no, no, I do, but, but but it happens to be in the one neighborhood in Orlando that I think is really cool. It's in Winter Park, which cool. is just as cool as any other cool area in a city. It's not, it's kind of like an
2: oasis. Nice. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's not as horrible as the rest of Florida. Got it. Was it though the, the weather or like the music scene that kind of made you want to leave? It's the weather. The, a lot of the people are just
1: insane. The okay. wildlife, like there's all, there's You mean there's alligators, bears and insects. <laughs>
3: Yeah, I don't get that, okay I think of bears, I think like forests and mountains And shit like that, when I was down there Hanging out with Al, uh. he was like Yeah, there's like, if you guys see a bear Don't freak out, that's common around here There's, you know, a couple miles up the road, blah 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 And I'm like, bears in Florida, like What? That exists? That's That's a thing? Oh yeah Colorado, yeah. No, no, no. Wisconsin, yeah. Russia, yeah. Florida, (laughs) Florida, what the fuck?
1: No, and and these bears are not afraid of people. Um, Like, maybe last year, a lady maybe a mile away from my house got dragged out of her garage by a black bear. They let her go for some reason. Um, But it's just, just, like, the weather there is oppressive. Plus, if you're recording for about six months out of the year, you have to unplug your rig because storm season happens. And Orlando is the lightning capital of the U.S. Yeah. And actually getting your building struck by lightning is not a weird thing. Like these things, it happens out there. So for about three hours a day, you just literally need to unplug everything.
2: That's crazy and and sucks. Big time. The clients hate it right does wade even do, like is wade do have to do that in his studio as well currently well,
1: i know that he or well his intern texted me once and was like hey we've got to unplug everything can i unplug your computer when i was in atlanta and i was like yes please <laughs> like right. i'm not i'm not going to even argue with a Someone in Florida who says we need to unplug your shit right now. Right. Please
3: take it outside, hold it over your head, <laughs> put a metal rod and attach it and just scream to the heavens. And- <laughs> Dude,
1: like, you know, when you see, like, maybe on your Facebook feed, those, like, cr- uh, someone is sharing, like, a video of, like, the most insane lightning strikes ever or, like, that kind of stuff, like, Weather Channel shit. That is, that is kind of how it gets quite often over there. Right. So.
2: Yeah, you... Man, yeah, I'm, I'm, I am I'm. feel super lucky to live where I'm at. The weather out here is great most of the time.
3: Don't you get earthquakes and shit like that out there?
2: Dude, I can't wait. It's coming, the big one. It's been a long time.
3: <laughs> you get your own island. Yeah. <laughs> Go
2: goes,
1: goes surfing it, on California.
2: Right. You know, it's been about, like, 10, 15 years since, like, a serious earthquake hit. And on average, they come about 10 years or something. So... It's coming, and I'm pretty stoked for it. I got my speakers all tied down, and oh, really? You know. oh, for sure. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not really joking about this. It, it's gonna no, happen, I believe so. it.
1: <laughs> I, I be- my family, it, half of my family, is from Mexico City, and they got lots oh, yeah. of earthquakes there. So I'm, oh, I'm wow. aware. I'm aware yeah. of the, of it. So you actually have your speakers tied down?
2: Oh, for sure. Yeah, that's smart. Only for that, really. Because well, it's going to happen. But. It will happen. So that yeah. is smart.
3: Is there like a special insurance binder for that?
2: Um, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I current, like in my current spot, I don't have insurance on this stuff. But at my new spot that I'm working on right now, it, I will have insurance. And they do have like a, you know, earthquake clause kind of thing that, you know, stuff gets covered if there's an earthquake for sure. Because it's a serious problem. I mean, in
1: Florida, you have a hurricane clause as well. Like, right. only an idiot will not get that. Taken care of. Right. I mean, even though Florida hasn't been hit by a serious hurricane in a long ass time, everyone knows it. it's going to happen. Sure. So, same yeah. sort of thing. Just a matter so, of time, yeah. So, I have an LA question for you. Yeah. Being that you're, I mean, you're, for all intents and purposes, you're a native. And you know very well that. L.A. is kind of the target city for a lot of people who want to make it in the industry. Sure. Especially, not just people from the U.S. who migrate there, people from all over the world when they Mm -hmm. say they want to make it in music, whether it's production or a band or anything else. L.A. is kind of, you know, L.A., Nashville, New York. Do you recommend that people move to LA to pursue a career?
2: I think they should move out here if they're really well ready to do it 100 110%. I mean the the rent out here is insane. You really got to work your ass off to be able to make ends meet and and on top of it there's the amount of other guys out here doing what I'm doing is kind of uh you know off the charts. Like there's tons of competition and um you know, you just got to be really killing it and kicking ass if you're willing to step over here into the jungle. How did you manage to
1: s- differentiate yourself or how did you how did you set yourself apart and get recognized amongst all that competition?
2: Yeah, um, I think it's just determination, just being passionate, a bit, passionate about you know what i'm trying to do and the kind of bands that i want to work with i think was really important i wasn't a band that helped me meet a lot of producers that i learned from and mentored from so i would i would say that location had a part to do with it you know and uh, you know i had some good mentors along the way that i bugged constantly and tried to help them out as as much as i could and would do anything for them and that those opened up a lot of a lot of doors for me and a lot of the credits you see are you know products of just kind of being around the right people at the right time. you know what I mean so those
1: those mentors did they give you gigs or did you like impress them and then you worked through them or did you work with bands under them?
2: A lot of it was hey let me help out on this record let me tune some vocals, let me edit some drums let me uh, edit some guitars, let me set up some microphones a lot of it was just that you know and then it would turn into you know mix gigs maybe if I had the opportunity like for example one of my main mentors was Mike Green who where my first job for him was tuning vocals on a Set Your Goals record and then uh tuning vocals on this Boys Like Girls live thing. He, so he just, I loved the work that he was doing. So I pursued him as best I could without being annoying. How did you manage to pursue him without
1: being annoying? Like, how did you not punish him and just get him yeah. to ignore you?
2: So it, it helped that I was in a band that worked with him. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, so that was definitely a an, a solid in you know, so we co-wrote some songs with him. My old band was called Neural, and then we, um, we co-wrote with a lot of guys on that particular record, but Mike Green was just the guy who got it the most. So anyways, we spent a lot of time with him, and then in that time I got to know him, and I just told him, like, yeah, man, this is what I do. Because I had been recording and producing since I was a kid, recording in my own band, and... Uh, Stuff like that, you know what I mean. So what
1: what happened that he actually trusted you though enough to try it, or did he just
2: say fuck uh, that, it? <laughs> mm-hmm. No that that was it. It was just my my kind of persistence, you know. On hey, let me let me help you out. I think I, I think I remember bugging him like often, maybe once once a month or something until he actually had. An opportunity for me to do some work for him. Let me stop you right there. You just said often and once
1: a month at the same time, and <laughs> it, and uh, the reason <laughs> I want to say that is because so I I've been punished by people every week, and it right. gets so annoying. And uh,
3: oh my god, hourly sometimes.
2: Yeah, really? every by day by
3: the same guy. Yeah. yeah. Oh man. Well, I mean, you try to be nice, but come on, like. I got to get work done, too, right?
2: Right. Well, I don't know. I mean, that is a lot, once a week. I mean, at a certain point, you can identify someone who's just kind of (laughs) crazy, but then you can also kind of, you know, if you have an opportunity to meet up with someone for coffee or something and learn about what they're all about, then it might be worth, you know, saying hi to these guys and seeing what they could do for you, you know? But hourly is a lot. I mean... I don't
1: know. Yeah, well, I mean, (laughs) I have definitely made business partners and hired people only through the internet and through their persistence. But it's usually been once a month sort of thing, where they're persistent in that they will hit me up, and if I say I'm too busy right now, but I would like to talk to you, hit me in a few weeks or hit me after this project's over, they actually respect that. They realize I'm I'm not just some like possession of theirs or some thing they're trying to acquire or right. some quote-unquote contact I'm actually a human being who's got a life and a schedule and pressure right. How dare you? yeah crazy right and they respect <laughs> that and then they will hit me back weeks later or a month later and I appreciate that and usually right. it's been those guys who are persistent but respectful exactly yeah I end up giving them an opportunity
2: yeah for sure those are the guys definitely sometimes it takes six months yeah, Two. the guys that end up working with me are, you know, in an intern type of scenario, or, or are those kind of guys where they're, like you said, just pers- persistent enough to know that you can identify that they're serious, but uh, just not kind of kooky. <laughs> <laughs> kind of kooky is a good way to put it.
3: Yeah, interns are an interesting topic. I mean, I did a well. I guess by the time people hear this, I did a, it'll it'll be a dated, but I did a Facebook Live last night for like two hours, and I uh, went on like a thirty minute rant about interns, and I've. uh Taken on a few and had a few come and go you, this year. You just had one to quit. <laughs> yeah, I, I just did have one to quit. Correct. Yeah. Uh it, w- it wasn't for her, I guess. I showed you the email. Actually, <laughs> I mean, it's it's a tough business, and uh, sometimes people really don't understand that it's not about what you're particularly doing in the short term. It's about the bigger picture, the people that you're going to meet, the opportunities that are going to present themselves. Right. And uh, they don't really think about that, so it's okay. I mean, you know. It's, this isn't for everybody.
1: Joel, I, if I was 22 and I wanted to be a producer or work in the industry and I was interning for you, I would give it three years of cleaning toilets before I was like, <laughs> well, you know what?
3: Well, I got an opening every Friday if you were interested.
1: <laughs> uh, fuck Wisconsin, bro. I'm not moving there. but um, But I'm just saying that I would. Like, at that point in my life, If I had the ability to get into a situation that was as connected as you are and with people as awesome as you know and just everything going on, I would have killed for that opportunity. So it just blows my mind. But hey, it's not for everyone, and it's good to realize that.
2: To add to everything that you guys are saying, I think it's just important to know that when um, if you're looking for an internship and trying to be a producer or trying to be a mixer, I think that... You know, you should know that you shouldn't be interning with someone to like the end all be all is not to get a paid job. Really, I think it's to to help out and learn from the guys in exchange for your service, doing whatever they need to need you to do. And then, so I guess what I'm saying is, on the side, you should always be pursuing your own career because, in the end, no one really wants to be an assistant. You know, they want to be their own. Known guy, right? Yeah,
3: I mean most people. But the thing is, I, I let all my anger out last night towards the situation, so I'm really mm. calm right now, which is actually kinda of disturbing me <laughs> because <laughs> I was really on a I was really on a tirade. What I wanted to talk about here about this Kyle is Let's talk about the qualities of what makes somebody stand out as an intern. Cause I feel like this is sure. something we've we've talked about before, but is so damn important. And no matter how many times I say it, it's never enough. And I'll I'll tell you a little bit of a story here as a precursor. You know, I can't tell you how many people have come into my studio. Now I'm gonna now I'm gonna get mad here. <laughs> how many people have come into my studio and looked me in the eye and said, Joel, this is what I want to do. I'm passionate about this. I can be great at this. This is all I do. I'm I'm gonna quit my job. I'm gonna blah blah blah. I'm like, I don't give a shit. You come in here and you show me and you stick it out for a long time. And at some point you'll have created enough value for me where I will go way out of my way to make sure that your life gets substantially easier. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they flake out and like, you know, they just can't hang or can't handle it. And you know, they just they don't show up or they don't come back after the first day or, Uh you know, and we like to rouse the feathers a little bit on the first day and just be like really crazy and really extreme and, you know, see how they handle like a really ridiculous sense of humor or just anything we can throw at them. That's absolutely absurd. And if, you know, it it just weeds them out real fast and the people that do make it though, they are a special breed and those are the kind of people, at least I want on my team and I want to be associated. And those are the kind of people we work with and you know, it's like, You expect greatness.
2: They're probably guys like you and me and Isle, you know? And... You know, the fact that we are here talking to each other is says that we all have the same passion and determination.
3: Yeah, it's not an easy ride at all. Like, you just gotta gotta grind ass. So what characteristics, Kyle, have you seen? Like, what's made people stand out? Like, think of the best interns you've ever had, and then think about the worst ones. Sure. What's the difference in your eyes? What's your take?
2: The best ones are the ones willing to learn how you do things, and, um... Not trying to implement their own way of doing things, like "Hey, I found an easier, quicker way to do it." You know, like to be an intern, you really gotta learn the lay of the land when you're in a studio and just not cross lines.
3: I've seen that go sour many times. Well, it's because oh, yeah. you
2: gotta understand that if you're interning for somebody who
1: is established, and no matter what it is they ask for, there's a reason they're asking for it. And lots of guys who are established. They didn't get established by following all the rules. They got established generally because they do their own thing. I sure. mean, they, they know how to record correctly, of course, but they kind of, you know, they take their their own way of doing things. So take Joey, for an example. Mm-hmm. He's a non-traditional engineer. Mm-hmm. He does things his own way. He kind of invented his own style. So if you're going to intern for someone like Joey, you're going to have to do things maybe a little differently than you learned in recording school, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Or different or whoever i you know when i was working under jason sukhoff like there are things that i was asked to do that are different than what you will hear online and it wasn't my place to question that because there's a reason that these guys ask for it and maybe if something isn't as efficient as some workflow tip that you learned in a course or something like that doesn't Mm -hmm. fucking matter like Do what these guys are asking for and learn how they do things and make them happy. And uh, if you have a better way of doing things, maybe once you've gained their trust, then suggest it.
2: Absolutely, yeah.
3: I think that's such a critical point. I mean, I'll use a story. Uh, Recently, across the hall, the other producer that works with me, he's had several interns. And one in particular was always just mouthy because you know he actually listens to us and you know subscribes more to how we make records and uh, the guy across the hall he's got his own way of doing it now in his own right he makes a lot of money he's extremely successful in his market and he does great and uh, yeah you know are there efficient to see things and workflows and like the way he tunes vocals or edits drums that don't make sense to guys like us and how we do them absolutely but does it work for him he's got a thing so you know like, are you going to come in as an intern and argue? So there was a guy who always came in and they'd always get into it. And it was just kind of comical to Joe and I, because uh, Joe was my assistant, if you guys huh. don't know. And also co-owns Forge with me and Joey. Joe and I would always be laughing because Joe was like the most amazing intern I ever had. Hence why wow. he, you know, is a business partner now. And... Joe was one day was just reaming him out. He's like, dude, listen, you're not here to tell the dude across the hall what the fucking do. You're here to sit down, shut your mouth, and do exactly what he says. Don't question it. Don't argue. Don't you know, don't get mad, don't not show up. Don't screw him over and embarrass him in front of his clients. Come in and do your fucking job and shut your mouth, and you might learn something. And, man, I just want to say, because I know he's going to listen to this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) There it is.
1: (laughs) And You know what, dude? I could just imagine Joe doing that,
3: too. (laughs) It takes a lot to get Joe pissed off. I I just want to put that out there. Like, he's really (laughs) passive-aggressive and really laid back. But, Mm -hmm. man, when Joe gets mad, like, for real mad... He gets really pissed. And, uh, you know, I I, I like it because every time one of my interns, like, I don't even have to discipline them. Like, there are new interns when they come in and they get out of line. Like, he rips their fucking heads off. He's like, look to me. Look where I got. Look what, you know, blah, blah, blah. He's like, I've grinded it out every day. You don't see me complaining because I've got to edit, you know, 4,000 drum samples in the next two weeks. Or I've got to do this or do that. Like, you know, i got to work 17-hour days. Not a single word comes out of my mouth. I sit here, I do my fucking job because I want to be great at this and this is what I love doing. And you're here to do the same thing. I don't want to hear you complain or get frustrated because you <laughs> couldn't figure something mm. out. Use your mouth, ask questions, and that's how you'd be great at this. Right, that's right. the first step. Uh, let me, uh, just. <laughs>
1: Okay, I didn't know that Joe was your intern at first.
3: Yeah, he interned me for me. For, okay, here we go. This is a great case in point. Um, sorry, I'll, <laughs> I'll let you guys do some talking here in a second. You're getting me fired up now. The fire, the hate, and the fire is coming out. <laughs> uh, Joe interned me for me for like a year and a few months for free. Okay, paid for his own gas. He didn't have a job at the time, so he was living off Lake. He had like ten or twelve thousand dollars saved up, and he lived off that money very frugally and very intelligently. Drove out twenty minutes each a day, came and sat with me. Sometimes he would come in on the weekends at five in the morning to do bullshit tasks and stay there till midnight with me because that's what it took. And you know what? Then he became a mix assistant and he started helping me uh, and Joey slam out gajillions of songs and just like, you know, doing what we do. And, uh, You know, and now he owns a third of a company and uh, he's doing fantastic. So there you go, man. I mean, like that's the kind of guy I want on my team. I want somebody that I know if like I'm in, you know, another side of the planet and I don't have a cell phone and something goes wrong. It's not I don't have to I'm not going to lose a single thread of sleep over because I know that guy is going to take care of shit. He's going to get it under control and it's not going to be a problem. So there it is. Like it's not Amen. hard to succeed at doing this. It's Amen. not. You just have to put in the fucking work. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely.
2: It just comes down to giving it 100 percent all the time.
3: There it is. Well, I was I
1: was going to ask you, do you have an assistant, like a paid assistant, at this point?
2: Yeah. At this point, I do. Yeah.
1: And was he ever an intern? Yeah, for about at least a year. There you go. And what was it about him
2: that? Why did he graduate? <laughs> How did he graduate into getting paid? Um, yeah, <laughs> he uh, he ruled. I mean, he you can he's really good. His name's Colin. Colin Schwonke. Hi, Colin. Yep. You know, he had a lot to bring to the table. First of all, he has an ear, so he's musically trained. He was able to tune vocals and figure out the key of songs, and you know, that's got a brain. Big, <laughs> what? Had a brain, like. had a had a brain. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, he was just musically savvy, so that always that helped.
3: Yeah, it's important. Like, not a lot of guys have that coming in that will intern. Seriously, like, no, like people will start interning for me. They're like, "Do you play any instruments? No. Do you sing? Do you no? Do you, what do you do? I make beats on Fruity Loops. What the fuck? You want to record bands?
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, there are there are guys out there who who can make it doing that, but just you know, depending on what kind of bands you're working with, like you know, sometimes you gotta know a little bit of music theory and, you know, scales and finding keys of songs and stuff to tune vocals.
3: Yeah, that's important. I just wanted to reiterate that. It's so important.
2: Absolutely. And that's why, you know, being in a band, uh like, I, I don't we haven't really touched much on it, but my band brought me, because I was in a band throughout high school and you know, that's just kind of where I learned to be a musician and where I fell in love with it. But back to Colin really quick. So he, he was also a musician. So his pocket, you know, he, he can put vocals in time, knows how to rock that. And then I remember the first time that he worked with me, one of the things that was really impressive when I, when I was doing this Hit the Lights record, he took the tracks and added a bunch of, like, electronic stuff. Synths, some effects, some swells just some additional production just on his own time and showed showed it to me, and I was kind of blown away, and I used a lot of it. And So he's been doing that kind of stuff for my records. Uh, If you listen to the State Tramps record, there's a lot of synths and weird things happening. You know, a lot of that was Colin.
1: Let me take a second to interrupt you and just say that uh, those of you who don't know Kyle is coming on Nail the Mix and actually doing a State Champs song called Secrets. So if you uh, are not subscribed to Nail the Mix, go to nailthemix.com slash statechamps and uh, sign up. You will get the stems raw stems that is not processed raw stems for the song Secrets you'll be able to enter in a uh, mix competition with your mix uh, where you can win a focal set of elier headphones that's a thousand dollar pair of headphones you'll get to do a Q&A live call With Kyle, where you can ask him anything you want about uh, anything, uh, all the way from what he's wearing to how he got state champs to sound fucking incredible. And then at the end of the month, Kyle will be coming to my studio in Orlando and mixing the song for you live on camera and answering your questions. So with that, let's get back to talking about Colin and uh, his awesome abilities to enhance your productions.
3: (laughs) Can I interject rudely for one second and just say how excited I am that Kyle's going to be mixing. Like, dude, that mix you sent me the other day to listen to, it sounds fucking dope.
1: Yes, I play and I'm
3: like, this is awesome. I can't wait for Nail the Mix. Wow. So you guys, I mean, Kyle's work is obviously fantastic or we wouldn't be having him here and he wouldn't have had such an amazing career so far. So, you know, anytime I feel like You have an opportunity to learn from something like that. You'd be foolish not to because, man, like (laughs) when I started doing this, there was nothing like that. Like you couldn't just watch some badass dude mix a song from scratch, show you what they do and interact and ask him questions. It was like impossible unless you had an internship. So, yeah, I love what you guys are doing. Thank you. you. I appreciate appreciate
2: it. it. And I know everyone else out there does, too. You know, it's super cool. Hey, thank you for having me. Well, dude, we're stoked
1: about it and we're also really really glad that it's not just another metal guy. Like cool. we're glad that, <laughs> We're glad that there's right. that 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 we're going to be doing something in another genre cuz we believe that awesome. even though we do a lot of metal, we want our audience and our students to really learn how to do all different genres um, Sure, of yeah. you know, maybe it's going to be rock and heavy stuff and that's fine if that's Your main thing, but you really should, you know, if you want to do heavy music, you really should learn how to do pop punk, metal, some rock, like all the different flavors of it, because it will all influence your mix and production
2: decisions in a good way. Absolutely, yeah. You know, I started doing a lot of heavy stuff. You know, back when I started, I was mainly doing heavy stuff. And then, but I also had a thing for great vocalists and melodies and stuff. So, I'm with you on that. You know, so I eventually, actually, a cool, funny story, I think, is one record that I did recently was called Chunk No Captain Chunk, and before that, I... We've had them on Nail the Mix, by the way. Right. Bert is amazing, and so is his brother. You know, they're such great guys and extremely talented.
3: Yeah, he can record great, too, and all that stuff. He's a really good producer. Oh, my God.
2: Honestly, that was one of the one of my favorite records to work on. It was just uh, them two, and they're just such such wise kids when it comes down to songwriting and producing and coming up with parts. and They have a really interesting way of of writing music, so it was great to be a part of. So, but what I was what I was getting at is there was a time before that record. Where I was like going back and forth from heavy stuff to poppy stuff, like for example, the Shy Halud record that I engineered, the latest one, and then was it? I did the Comeback Kid record. I did a handful of all this heavy stuff, and then I was going back and forth from a bunch of pop punk bands. Like, uh, what was I doing? I got to look at my website really quick, but <laughs> I was just doing like, you know, not heavy stuff. So, anyways, but I was into it. I loved it. I loved going back and forth, and then. Um, you know, one day I just got and I remember in the back of my head one day I was like, Man, I heard this band chunk. I was like, dude, this is the perfect band for me. Cause they're so heavy and they've and they have catchy hooks and melodies and stuff, and I'm like, I've got to work with this band. And then just somehow the stars aligned and they were actually interested in working with me and they hit me up after they had heard the comeback kid record that I did. And I was just unbelievably stoked. I love that record.
1: So did they did they fly all the way from France and hang with you in LA for sure did, yeah. Nice. Yeah. That was uh one of my favorite nail the mixes. Joey did one of their records and I wasn't uh-huh. involved. I didn't know Joey yet then. But uh so that was kind of my introduction to the band, but uh we had Bert on the Q and A call and he's just struck me as super intelligent and uh oh, yeah. that song is so damn catchy. Right, right. Well um, which one?
3: The The new one, fantastic
1: band. No, no, it wasn't the new one. Which which song is it again? I'm terrible with song names. I'm checking right now. It's probably all of
3: them. (laughs)
2: Bipolar Minds. It was it was off the record that Joey did. I'm assuming. Yeah, dude, let me tell you, man. I was I was so intimidated after knowing that they were coming from Joey Sturgis, and I was like, Jesus, dude, I really got to get my drum sounds down. I mean, I still think like Joey's mix, at least drum wise, like slays pretty hard. But you know, I did my best to get there. <laughs> I heard yours; it
1: sounds. Well, phenomenal. you did
3: great. It sounds fantastic. Yeah, thanks, thanks, the man. song is
1: called Restart. Yeah, Joey's a tough act to follow, but I think that if I mean your stuff, your stuff rules, man. I, thanks, I don't, dude. I don't think you got anything to worry about, or had anything to worry about. But competition's a good thing.
2: I think absolutely. Oh, it's it's what it's all about. It's the only way you can get better. Even like you know when I did that comeback kid record. I mean, look like doing records like that are still till this day blow my mind that I actually did those records. You know, and uh, knowing that comeback kid came back came did three records with Bill Stevenson. You know, yep. I was <laughs> shitting my pants. So I was like, oh my god, what. What are these guys hearing that I'm doing? I didn't really get it. I mean, so at the time, Andrew had liked the Shia Lude record that I did, and um, anyways, my point is, like, the competition is you got to beat you got to beat the last guy. You got to, you know, not in a bad, not in a harmful way, but like, you just got to do better than than what everyone else is doing. Yeah,
3: I think this is a great topic. Because this kind of came up last night when I was on that live stream. Again, it won't be last night when people actually listen to this. But Mm -hmm. someone asked me about, like, you know, ego and how to control it and how to, like, talk to bands and things like that and just... In, in general. And one of the things I said is that, um, you know, anybody that is good at this stuff obviously knows that they're good to some degree. You know what I mean? Like right. the competitive side of you, which is what I would call like a really positive ego is like, you know, you want to be the best that you can, you know, you want to obviously do, you know, if you pick up a cool record, you want to beat the guy before you or at least do as good or, you know, not get totally smoked. Right. Well, right. You know, like that's the kind of ego that you need to have. Cause that's what makes you competitive. That what's what makes you right. get better at the same time. You need that humility because, you know, where people screw up as they take that head. Oh, I'm great. I'm the best. I'm blah, blah, oh, blah. Yeah. And reality is, is and no, none of us are like, you know, there's, no we all have so many things individually that we have to work on that we're weak at, et cetera. So just having the mentality of like a perpetual student and always like trying to maintain that Absolutely. level of humility, no matter how good you are, how great your credits are, et cetera. So, you know, it can kind of be like an ebb and flow and when you're working with artists, you know, sometimes you have to come in and have really strong confidence and ego. Like, listen, I fucking know what's going on. You need to listen to me and Sometimes it is absolutely the wrong approach.
2: Right, right, so, right.
3: <laughs> You gotta read the situation and you gotta know what you're getting into. But um I think yeah. part of But it, sometimes it's good though. Yeah. It's like you, you need you need that driving force. You have to keep it in check and stay humble with it, but you right. need to have that competitive edge. It's so important.
1: Well, you know, there's a reason for why restaurants in New York City are incredible and are better than the restaurants in Orlando. And it has to do <laughs> with the fact that there's competition. Like Those guys have to be on their A++ plus game at all times, or they're going to die. Whereas in Orlando, not necessarily. You can be a B plus in Orlando and be considered an A. Whereas in New York, you're an A minus, and you're already shitty. Um (laughs) And so yeah. <laughs> it's it's just important, it, like to survive, you have to keep that edge. And I I dig it when it can be sportsmanlike to where you can be friends with your competitors and actually find ways to help each other out because then you can learn from each other. And absolutely, really, I don't know. I come from a from an abundance mindset where I believe that there's enough for everybody to go around. There's enough seats at the table, and so. We can all learn from each other, as opposed to the uh, the scarcity mindset where people act like dogs that are protecting their food bowls. So... It's two two completely different ways to look at the world. And they both might have some truth to them, but, you know, life, a lot of life is mindset. So if you look at it from an abundance mindset that there's enough for anybody, competition actually becomes an opportunity to learn and to get better.
3: You know what's funny about that is sometimes your most brutal competitors at some point in your life can actually end up becoming some of your best friends and eventually, like, teammates. And You know what I mean? It's, it's like, crazy how many people... I think of going back where, you know, I had heard of that person and, you know, we didn't get along. We competed for years and now like we rent across the hall from each other and we're really good friends and we don't compete at all. We throw work to, we help each other out. (laughs) Right. So, you know, just that's one of a million scenarios. Totally. I think when it, and when it comes
2: down to it, like in the end, when a band makes that decision of who they're going to work with, they're going to pick the the right guy for the right project, you know?
1: It's kind of like two guys going for the same girl or something it's like you're not gonna sweet talk the girl she's gonna pick who's better for her in her opinion there's nothing you can do about it (laughs) (laughs) yeah they may as well just be okay with it so let's switch gears and start Mm -hmm. and talk some more technical stuff sure so just to just to break the ice what's your favorite piece of gear in your studio right now like the one thing and don't say a computer but like, what's your favorite piece of gear right now? And if you can't name
2: one, name two. Oh, geez. I mean, I love my Neve preamps. That's you good. know, I think those. I think those are the those bomb. Those are really
3: hard not to like, aren't they?
2: <laughs> I love my Shadow Hills compressor.
3: Ooh! Which all, one do you have?
2: All of which you are guys are listening to right now. I'm talking into. Uh, my manly microphone into the Neve into the Shadow Hills compressor.
3: Which comp do you have from Shadow Hills? Just the regular mono. Like the Opto or the Vandergraff or the like uh, let Mastering me look. comp?
2: Uh, not the mastering, it's just, I guess it's the opto.
3: Ah, uh, the optograph. That is, dude, Kyle, that is one of my favorite fucking compressors. Yeah. I love it so much. I have the mastering comp, and part of oh, it is you? the opto section. And when I'm recording, I will record anything that I can possibly record through that, even if I'm not compressing, because I love how it sounds so much, and the transformer right. options are so sick. It's Definitely. such a beautiful piece of equipment. It's really good. Uh, I like that, you
2: know, you can compress the shit out of things and not and it doesn't sound like it's being compressed or it doesn't sound unnatural it's amazing
3: how it does that you look at it in the daw it's like a flat line and you're like oh i crushed it but then it's like a two to one ratio and it's not really that compressed it's crazy
2: yeah it's sick it's similar to like the uh transparent kind of design of like a allen smart c2 or something like that yeah so yeah i would say those are my favorite pieces of gear is your process mainly hybrid? Uh, what do you mean by that? Like,
1: so when you're mixing, for instance, do you mix in the box, or do you mix? Do you use a lot of outboard inserts as well? Yeah, I
2: come out into the C2 Allen Smart C2. Any other
3: pieces in your chain? EQs? Anything fun? Uh, I, I have a summing box. Oh, cool! What are you using?
2: Dangerous, good stuff. Yeah,
3: you got the the two bus or yeah. The, um, maybe have you seen the new one that came out with like the two bus plus? Yeah, I have. Dude, I wanted to try that so bad. It looks freaking sick. I like those features yeah. they've added. Uh, oh, man. I've got the uh, the Tonalux. I love that thing, the OTB-16. I had the SSL Sigma, which also sounded great. Right, uh, right, But it was just too much of a pain in the ass for me in, in terms of my workflow because the the right. DCA, like the digitally controlled analog fader thing it was it was amazing it was like the best thing to ever have in a summing box except my ethernet didn't work in my new building and i couldn't port it over into my system
2: (laughs) Uh, so i think summing like helps a a bunch i think that it um it uh gives it a good stereo separation and makes it nice and wide and
3: it's got that front to back thing too you know like that 3d I picture it like uh, when I listen to an all digital mix, I think of kind of like a, it looks like a flat sheet of paper if I visualize it in front of my face coming out of my speakers, whereas like right. I I see spheres and like <laughs> I can see around instruments when I'm when I'm doing like a console or a summing mixer.
1: That's
2: also when you take a hit of acid. <laughs> yeah,
1: you I would need say to if you put that if, on my
3: list of things to try.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> I would say if any listeners out there are trying to, you know, improve their mix game Getting some kind of summing unit, you know, it's a, it's an investment because you gotta you gotta buy an interface that has enough outs, and the I/O needs to be good quality for it to make sense. And it's a lot of fun taking it out. You have a lot more headroom. You can make much more dynamic mixes. Things tend to not be as muddy. I think.
3: Yeah, it's worth a try. You gotta try it now. Yeah, we'll establish one little caveat to that. It ain't gonna fix shitty EQ. Yeah, it ain't going to fix shitty monitoring. It ain't going to fix the fact that, uh, you know, you're you're monitoring in like a bedroom versus, you know, like have those important ducks in the real first, but you get to a point, you know, where you're starting to get good and your fundamentals are down. Then it's worth trying a summing mixer because, you know, it's not for everybody, but if it's for you, you'll open it up, you'll use it and you'll fall in love with it. And you'll be like, how the hell did I mix without <laughs> this my whole life?
2: Right. Totally. It's definitely a thing that I like.
1: At what point in someone's development do you think that they should start looking into things like a summing box, a summing mixer? I
2: think when they're you know making enough money to afford it, really. But then again, I mean, sometimes, like if you're a fan of wide-sounding records and you know the left and right being super huge, and then you want to start getting out of the box and using some. Some outboard gear. If you're a fan of, you know, heavy, narrow mixes, which isn't a bad thing. Like I think a lot of in the box records sound, or sorry, a lot of heavy records sound great in the box because it's probably a bit warmer and and bigger sounding down the center. Does that make sense at all? Mm -hmm. Yes. So it comes down to a preference thing. Was that? Did I answer your question?
1: Well, you said that once they can afford it, which. to me, means don't. it's not a frivolous thing to buy.
2: No, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that's kind of my point is if you can afford it, try it out and see if it's something that you like, you know. But um, that's kind of the interesting thing about this show is that, you know, everyone's telling how they do things. And maybe some people might feel threatened or something, like giving, giving away their secrets or the, the stuff that they use, but... It really all comes down to someone's ear and preference.
1: You know, that's it's funny you say that because when I've been doing the uh, audio education thing for co- going on four years now, I had my first creative live was in two thousand thirteen. It was, and we're now in the in the beginning of year four, and it's been going great. And when I first started. This doesn't happen so much anymore, or I don't even hear about it anymore. But when I first started, I faced a lot of resistance from because that's when I was making records all the time and involved with records, whether I was producing or engineering or mixing or mix engineering or assisting. Like I was doing, I was handling all the roles on between five and eight records a month for years. And uh, a lot of people started to hate me for this, saying that I'm giving away the keys of the castle or hmm. spill. Giving the secrets away, but I just don't agree with that. Like there are no secrets to give away. All your, Thank all you. we do is teach concepts and workflows. Um, we can't give you, we can't give you our ears.
3: You can watch nail the mix, right? And you can watch a lot of really awesome mixers now and we have so many cool guests coming and things like that. You know, they, there's, there's going to be a wealth of excellent people to learn from and you can come in and watch nail the mix, but it isn't going to do the fucking work for you. Like right? <laughs> you can sit there and watch <laughs> Kyle mix a song and you're not going to be able to mix like Kyle. Like you have to do the work. You have to develop the ear. You can pick up workflow. You can pick up, uh, you know, concepts. I always try to put it like this. I think we're teaching people how to solve problems. Now, I feel like it's an uphill battle because as much as I want it to be like that and I have this idealistic fantasy that we are teaching people how to solve problems because that's how we're approaching it, everybody's just like, yo, where's the preset? And you're like, dude, you're missing the point. There's no preset, man. Like, come on. Like, I, I use this compressor on a lot of different shit because- it solves a particular problem and it's fast and efficient. It fits into my workflow, but I can use any other compressor and would gladly do so. It doesn't matter. The point right, is right. the concept, not the tool. So just cause I used L one on 400 times in that mix doesn't mean you should. Yeah, Exactly.
2: <laughs> yeah. No, for sure. I, I remember back in the day, like when, like when the pintado place started up, I was like, Oh my God, I can't believe this guy is doing what he's doing. And then, so you know that happened, and then I think I saw a couple other things, and I was kind of like watching all these people do their mixes. I even watched the the Andrew Wade thing, and and I'm kind of like realizing that all of us we really use we are using the same tools. You know, it's the plugins, the uh, it's everything's in this digital domain, which kind of puts everyone at a, a similar playing field and what what sets yourself apart is just how you use the tools, really.
3: And the cool thing is by watching a lot of different people Work, you know, you're going to develop and take different things out of those, you know, so like you'll see somebody do something like Andrew or Kyle or, you know, Al or whoever, they're going to do something and you're be like, oh, that's cool. I've never really thought about approaching it like that, you know, so I'm going to try playing with that right. in my workflow and it may not port one-to-one into your own workflow. It may be a little bit weird, but because of that, it inspires something. You're like, whoa, I've never thought about it like this. And then you end oh, up, yeah. you know, originally I think you were going to come in at point A, but you end up at D and D is actually a really cool, Thing and you're like, wow, this is really awesome, and then yeah. it becomes like a part of your workflow, and then it helps your sound. So we're like, by all of us doing this and everybody sharing their knowledge and information, we're actually all getting better at this, and all of us are learning, and hopefully it, it helps progress as along uh, progress along you know the industry because since the big studio model has come down. There's just so much of a lack. You don't have like the the great mentorships and internship opportunities that used to be right. available where you could go in and watch some amazing A-list dude rip out mixes all day and, uh, you know, absorb that like a sponge. So I think yeah. this is probably the, the next closest thing possible without having to leave your house.
2: Oh, dude, you guys got the coolest thing going on for sure. I agree. <laughs> That's why I'm here, man. It's
3: it, cool. Well, let's go talk ahead. some
2: more tech stuff. Cool.
3: Let's, uh,
1: let's get specific, like, Cool. Tr- tracking heavy rhythm guitars, what's what's your preferred method?
2: Keep it super simple. Um, I've got this guitar cabinet that I really love uh, that I thought sounded great. I heard it in Guitar Center. It's a Marshall. It's a Marshall hand-wired thing. What's in it? Uh, so it's got these hybrid speakers that... Um, I asked the guy at the store, I'm like, why does this cabinet sound so good? What's in here? Is it vintage 30s or is it greenbacks? And he's like, it's neither. It's actually like this hybrid thing called, um, gosh, shit, I don't even remember what he said.
3: Is it the G12H 30s maybe, which is like a hybrid... Greenback. Uh, yeah. Uh, because I have a pair of those that I wired into a cabinet, and those are, I use those a lot on a lot yeah. of records, okay? For example, when I did Vinyl Theater, that was the guitar tone.
2: It's got to be something like that, because it's not a Vintage 30, and it's not a Greenback.
3: Yeah, but is it like a hybrid of the two? Because that's, that's what it's called. That's what he told me, yeah. Yeah, G12H30s, I believe, is what they're called. Specialestion. That's a really cool speaker, because it's got a lot of great characteristics of both, and it's it, yeah. for pop punk and stuff like that, it's a great sound.
2: Totally. It sounds super... I can Can use it on heavy stuff, and I I can use it on any record. That's it. Just sounds a lot more clearer and crisper than just a straight like Mesa cab with vintage thirties, but it still sounds heavy. So, anyways, I got a four twenty one and a fifty seven on that, and I blend it. I blend those together using my API three one four twos. Do you have any phase issues ever? No. I, you know, I just throw them up, and if it sounds good, it's good. Um, Go I don't overthink the phase. I just throw them up, like not dead center, but in between the center and the uh, outside. You know, right on the corner of that circle. You know mm-hmm. what I'm talking about? Yep. Yes. And then, um, and then you blend them, and then I th- I throw that through my uh, uh, Shadow Hills. And I kiss it. A little trick I learned from Dan Corniff if he's listening. We love Dan.
1: Dan's actually oh, been man. on here twice.
2: I know, I've I've heard it. I, my band did a record with Dan. Dan he's, and David Bendith. So um, Dan is the shit. And he's extremely sweet, nice guy. We keep in contact and he's he's just a really helpful guy. Not really gonna meet anyone. As nice as him, probably. Uh, hopefully, he'll come on nail the mix. Oh, I hope he does. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, so go, go on. But he'll probably need his SSL, mm, right? That's fine. We'll go to him, right? That'd be sick. So we um, have cameras. <laughs> so yeah. So anyways, that's uh, that's my chain for the guitars. Well, I, I use these really expensive cables that cost like a hundred bucks each, which make the which just sound better than regular cables. Um, what do I do? I split it with the JD7. And then I'll have the DI for editing purposes. Very rarely will I reamp. Why is that? I mean, for sure, I think that there's quality loss when you reamp something. Yep. So you can always do it, but you're going to lose something. It's not going to be much and not really detectable. But I think if you nail nail the, the tone right from the beginning, that's really what you want to do.
1: You're absolutely right. And it's funny, the guy who I talk about this the most often with is Andrew Wade. Man, I have always felt like something in reamping, I don't know, there's something gets lost in translation.
3: There is something. It's hard to quantify scientifically, sorry to piss anybody off by saying that, but it's dude, it's real. Like, (laughs) Not that it's a problem, but you know. Right. You
2: can't get around it you will certainly have a crisper cleaner sound if you're just like right into the amp or you know into your splitter even even the splitter adds a little bit of you know loss of something but anyways but i mean reamping i'll, I'll reamp like lead guitars and shit like if i want to try some some weird thing but yeah Oh, you have a Bogner Ecstasy. I mean, that was on the main rhythms for that, for most of my records. And then for clean and mid-tones, I use this amp called the Divided by 13.
1: Let's talk about your Bogner Ecstasy for a second. I have one of those. It's one of the, I have sold a lot of my gear um, and kept some of, I've only kept the stuff that I think you shouldn't ever sell. So I've had the Bogner Ecstasy for 10 years now, and I would never sell that thing. One of the best $3,000 I've ever spent. And it's you know, not
3: making me want one. I hate you guys.
1: Dude, it, it, but, uh, but here's the thing about it. Like, you can get really bad tones with it, too, because yeah. there's so many options that ah, you can... Gotcha. Ro- yeah, it's not just, like, one of those amps that's got, like... You know, like a 5150 block letter where it's kind of like you know the settings and you and it doesn't do much else, but it does that one thing great. Ecstasy is Were like. you gonna
3: give us that preset or what? <laughs> it's like three amps
1: <laughs> in one. Like, tell us more about
2: like what you like about
1: it and how you figured it out and what channels you like. Sure.
2: I mean, what I like about it is that like the EQs are so powerful. Like, you know, when you use like a. An EQ like an Eve or something, and you twist the you twist the the knob, and it's just like holy shit! Like look at that, listen to that get so much brighter, or the bass is like, I guess how do I don't know how to explain it. It's like very dynamic the EQ, Mm so you can you can find like all these different ranges of guitar tone, really, and and it sounds heavy as fuck. You know, like enough gain, you've got enough gain for. Like you have way too much gain with that kind of amp, and um, you know, so I don't know. That's that's what I like about it. It's just powerful, versatile, and powerful. Do you like one of the channels better than the other, by any chance? Not really. I mean, the the green, the blue, and the red channel are super similar. Just the red sounds like you know crazy heavy, you know. And then the blue is like the blue. I would probably use that on like a pop punk record. If I was doing the chunk record, I had it on the red. You know what I mean? It's like that kind of thing. Yeah, I Get think sick.
1: the green channel is beautiful. What? That's the clean one. No, no, I said beautiful for cleans.
2: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, I Fun I metal I, moments. <laughs> 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 I tend to <laughs> I tend to not use that channel because I use my divided by thirteen. It has like oh, a okay. you know, it's it's a lot less power on the amp and. Um, it has, like, a really sick reverb and stuff, you know? Like, So I actually rarely use the green channel.
1: I've heard of Divided by 13. It's one of those uh, cool companies. <laughs> yeah.
3: But you cool guys are posers using clean tones, man. I only use red <laughs> channels, and that's it. I mean, if it yeah. ain't metal, it ain't worth recording. <laughs> Except for when it is. You want to move on to bass or something?
1: Yeah, let's move or on to bass. keep talking guitar amps. Let's
3: do it. Both. <laughs> we don't like bass players because Al and I are both guitar players. You play at all? Yeah, I'm mainly a bass player. Ah, uh, all sure. right. No, we want to start a band the... now. Yeah, we, got a, we got a full band okay. here. So. I got to say that
1: <laughs> I play guitar, but I prefer playing bass in the studio a lot more. It's a lot more fun. Do you? Oh, yeah.
3: If you guys want to gang up on me, that's cool. Well, you know, it's like... the
1: it, that's the number one <laughs> instrument I end up replacing people with. And uh, it's just fun, but yes, yeah, it so is
3: fun playing bass on records.
1: Yeah, it's a lot of fun. So, all right, Absolutely. let's talk about your preferred method for tracking bass.
2: Sure. Um, you know, bass is the hardest thing to track for some reason for me. Like, I usually end up like not liking the amp sound I got or some shit like that, and I'll use a lot of the DI or or I'll reamping it. I could tell you my favorite chain. It's not what I own right now. The best tone I've gotten is just. I mean, hands down, like, the, the Ampeg, either the big classics or the vintage VR, uh, VRs, vintage reissues, sounds sick. Putting a Base through that into, you know, a good cabinet, into... A good microphone. I, I mean, I think a lot of it has to do with the next stage of the chain, which would be a Neve preamp, which is always good. Or I actually have these Burl preamps, which are super similar to Neve's. And then you take that and then pop it into like an LA-2A. I think an LA-2A is the best for bass, bass recording. And then, um, so that would be the amp signal. And then the DI, I actually i would also use the um either that avalon thing into like an eleven seventy six or the b one burl into like the eleven seventy six again or i guess I, I i like the the b the burl's the best for for base d i
3: have you ever tried their converters
2: uh the like the bomber b two yeah I've I've been in a studio with it. They sound fucking awesome.
3: I was going to say, if you haven't tried that and you like the preamps, man, do yourself a favor and just do it. Just go try it. Like, I have a mothership that I'll show you how much I like it. (laughs) Yeah. I I had to uh, literally extract a kidney with um, a sharp object and then sell it on the black market to buy it. Because I've got like 12 in and 16 out. But, dude, I mean, that running into a summing mixer, it's pretty badass. I mean, it's um dude. the thing about the Burls, like the first time I ever recorded a guitar with them, yeah, I was just like, dude, that is the bottom end. I've always wanted to hear on a guitar my entire life. Like, it just Whoa. had this tightness and size that I wasn't getting with any of my other, any other converter I'd ever tried. And I shot out a lot of them when I, I got the Bomber, because I got the Bomber and just based off of hype, like, this is supposed to be the shit. Let's see yeah. if it's any good. And it was so the shit that I was like, all right, I bought it, then sold it a year later and bought a mother ship and just said screw it all other converters i don't even damn say, that's amazing Worth
2: it, yeah it. awesome i have recorded with a burl uh mothership before and it was sick it sounded really good a lot more warmer and and bigger sounding than just a regular pro Tools system
1: uh, lots of guys that come on never record bass amps anymore i know you're talking about burls now and not the amp but but do you ever just go DI now? Uh,
2: I do sometimes when I'm being lazy.
1: Um, <laughs> good. <answer.
2: laughs> yeah. When, uh, but no. I mean, I, ideally, I think having a really good amp sound is what you want to go. Is what you want to do. But my point about earlier, what I was saying earlier, is it's it's hard to get a great bass amp sound, and that's why there's so many simulators that can beat it right now, currently. I think using like a DI with like that CLA bass plugin, I've used that on just that on a bunch of records, you know. But if I can nail a sick bass tone and it sounds good and usable, I I'll I'll use it. I think on the State Champs, that was uh, that was not just DI. That was my um, my chain that I recorded the best I could into a Neve, into like what did I have at the time? Eleven seventy eight on the amp or something. You know, you just gotta go after that amp tone and really work it. Like new strings, make sure the bass player's playing right, make sure your amp, the amp is really good, and the bass is set up well. What about the microphone? The microphone, um, what about it? Like,
1: what did I use? Well, yeah, like, what's uh, what are your go-to's for tracking bass?
2: Some kind of fat kind of microphone. At the at currently have a, this blue mouse, fat thing that sounds really good. And I also have this heel like PR40 or something like that. Both of those work well. Those are inexpensive mics that work well on low end kind of stuff.
1: And when you're miking up a bass cab, uh, we talked about miking a guitar cab. How do you go about it with a bass cab? Like, do you get right up on it or some guys like to give it a little distance?
2: Yeah. yeah. I mean, I hate muddy sounding bass. I really love clear bass where the bottom end sounds super pillowy and and clear and the and the, the top end is like nice and crispy so i tend to just put it like directly in front dead center on the speaker of a bass cabinet cuz you're it's always going to be there's going to be plenty of low end but it's grabbing that brilliance and the brightness of a bass guitar that's always really difficult and you I can find. get plenty of low end from the di anyways if you need to yeah that
1: too do you For ever sure. blend them? Yeah, of course. So, do you deal with phase issues there
2: ever? Um, I usually look inside Pro Tools and line up the waves if if they're out. Got it. You no, know? you get the uh, the phase as best you can coming in, and which is usually just flipping one of the phase switches. But if you really want to get in there, like during mix time, you know, you go through and zoom in on those waves and match them up, scoot them over, get it right. Yeah. Um, Write down to how many samples you moved it, and then you do that to every song, you know? Mm-hmm. Or you can use those in phase, that in phase plugin from Waves. Super That's, helpful.
1: I've used that one, and then also there's Auto Align by Sound Radix. I like that one a lot too. Cool. I haven't used that. Well, it's really good. It's kind of, it's a lot like the Waves one, but it's better. The Waves one kind of gets a little confusing to me at times. The Sound okay. yeah. Radix one is really great, but then UAD makes one. As well, which is a it's a recreation or an emulation of the Little Labs in Phase Tool. Nice. In right. my opinion, that's the best one.
2: That's cool. So the um, speaking of U- UAD stuff, you know, I've never had a chance to use that stuff. It's phenomenal. And I hear. I just. I don't know. Like. Just should I trust you or should I trust all these people, you know, like <laughs> Are you sure cuz it's fucking expensive, man, you know?
1: Well, I was well, there's a second part to what I was about to say. Okay. It's phenomenal, but the bang for the buck is arguable. Right. It seems like it. Yeah, that's the that's the issue because we all know that you don't that like you could get you can make a great record with all stock plugins or sure basic waves plugins from 10, 15 years ago and be fine, right? So it's not like you need the most incredible plugins ever to make a great record. So the question is, do you really feel like spending the money on something that you get limited instances of that you don't necessarily need? And then in that case, it is questionable and it is arguable. However, they do sound great, and so I know some guys like Taylor Larson who love them and use them religiously. And his stuff sounds incredible, and he swears by it. And uh, people love them. So
2: I have heard. You know, Neil Avron is one of my favorite mixers of all time. I've been following him for like 10, 15 years.
3: Oh, he is sick. Yeah,
2: he's like kind of my biggest influencer when it comes to mixing. I hear that he he's like in the box using UAD plugins. And his shit sounds unreal. They are great plugins, and especially, you know, if you're a really good mixer and you're using them,
1: cool. But, yeah, cost per, you know, the the bang for the buck thing is definitely, you know, if you're worried about price, maybe they're not the not worth it. I don't know, but they do sound great.
2: It seems, though, like maybe if someone's like a professional mixer, they could and should look into that kind of stuff. You know, um, if they're making enough money to justify it is kind of what I'm, what I'm getting at. If they're, if you're making enough money to
1: justify it, I say, why not check it out? You can always return it. Um, it's like the plugins aren't going to work without the hardware. So, you know, you you just return the hardware, but you could trust me on the fact that they sound great. Not just me,
2: like trust a lot of people, but. But how can a plugin sound so much better than a. You know i to me like a plug all plugins almost sound it's like they don't really do anything. It's just a little tool to like to change shit around you know i I know what you're saying. I
1: think that what they were what they say, and i'm not a I'm not a programmer or anything like that, so I
3: can enlighten you guys on this, but so go ahead, just finish, and I'll weigh in.
1: They say that the algorithms are you know if they didn't use the hardware. The, they would bog the computer down too much because they're that much more complex than, say, like the Waves algorithms or whatever, and those more complex algorithms apparently get you a better quality of sound, and so they need the hardware to be able to run it with, so that it doesn't kill your computer. Okay. Yeah, no,
3: it's very true. I, I don't want to give away um, something really cool and innovative that I think we're going to be doing on the forge end at some point in time. Um, I sit across from a programmer every single day And he is a freaking genius, like absolutely one of the smartest programming people I've ever met. I feel like he's like the next Fabrice Gabriel. The guy's brilliant. And we have a lot of conversations because we come up with really crazy ideas and try to solve problems. We're like, what if we had a tool that did this or that? How would we do it? Or how would we approach this? So we've had a lot of like good chats at the bar sitting there and nerding out about like, you know, we could run it off this and do it like this and blah, blah, blah. No one's ever done this before and we could do this. And so... I don't want to encourage all the other companies out there, so I'm just going to shut my mouth. (laughs) But basically, yes, there is a lot of truth to what they're doing because running... Software off of your CPU and RAM, you can only get so much power. So, having an external card is great. The problem is, if you're a guy like me and you have original UAD1, like that was badass 10 years ago. And now it's like laughable how under, you know, how not powerful those cards are. So, you know, the technology gets dated really quickly uh, gotcha. when you're doing that. But yeah, I mean, obviously, like having all of that processing power offline frees up your computer and you can really. Um, get much higher, more realistic modeling, but modeling gotcha. and realism, that's a really complicated topic. And I, I hope I'm not going off topic. too no, much. It's fine. <laughs> no, no, you're <laughs> good. But modeling is something I, I've had many, many long conversations about, and I'm, I'm not a programmer, so don't, you know, don't quote me. Uh, I'm just kind of like the horse's ass here as opposed to the mouth. <laughs> um, cool. you're, you're getting it from somebody way, way smarter about this shit than uh, me funneling through me. So, um, so what I wanted to say is I was talking with my programmer the other day, and we were talking about you know how do you model things accurately? And one of the ways they do that is through a circuit simulation software called Splice. The problem with Splice is it's way fucking out of date, and it needs to be re- rewritten. And you can model things at the component level. Another way is you know you can run tones and take measurements and etc through the gear and run sweeps and get a slightly less accurate you know uh, picture wow. based off of um, you know mathematics and algorithms and things like that. So right. there's a lot of different ways to do it. But the technology, the point of this all is the technology has a long ass way to go. And, you know, there's some really creative ways to get around it in theory that I've heard, but it's an issue of sitting down and having those types of people implement that sort of design in in real life. So that's kind of like the, the layman's understanding of programming so like the technology is cool and it's great that they have all these accelerated cards but the method you know the bus is still kind of broken you know what i mean like you're still taking the bus uh, but you want to drive a car if that makes sense
1: got it that that spoiler you put on the honda might make it a little more aerodynamic but it's still just a honda
3: yeah exactly (laughs) like plugins are badass they're great you know are they going to model hardware one-to-one? Not yet. We got a ways to go Great. from what I understand. And there, sure. there's some things we can't even fricking measure yet. Um, we were talking yeah. to Gregory Scott about this. though so that was a really fascinating conversation. That's, that's
1: the dude, the UBK guy makes yeah. incredible gotcha. clarophonic EQ and all kinds of stuff. Awesome. So like
3: the, the yeah, like the plugins are really good, but I have the hardware. So like when you compare it you're like, man, you know, there's just that extra sauce. But hey man, I'll take the plugin any day. I love it and I'm so happy right. I have a hardware one. So there you go.
1: Sick. So all right, let's talk about tracking drums. Uh do you have any preference in your setup for drum tracking or mic placements or
2: Oh boy. I love drum tracking. It's one of my favorite things to do. Same here. I think You know, when it comes down to preference, I mean, you always prefer, you know, the most expensive shit, but sometimes you just can't get your hands on it. So I'm not really going to get into that too much. But, um, I mean, I think when it comes down to recording the drum, it needs to be, the drum itself needs to be uh, in good shape. It needs to be tuned really well. You got to have a really good snare and your cymbal choices is very, you know, key. Make sure nothing's broken, and make sure you got a solid set. You know, one interesting thing about drum recording too is like the size of cymbals is kind of a big deal. Oh yeah, to get like a to get like a great sounding drum performance, basically, because like literally, you know, the the size of a cymbal will. It should change per tempo, you know, because like the simple fact of like the bounce back on a symbol is super important. Like if you're if you're recording a a fast song, you can't have huge symbols, or else it's not gonna come back in time, and it's just not gonna sound in time. So also the thickness,
1: sure, yeah, you want thinner symbols on faster things in my in my experience,
2: absolutely. And it, you know, if it's a big slow song, like use a big symbol. So it's like. So you get a lot of decay and, and it makes sense at like a tempo, like just slow, you know. But um, making sure the drummer is prepared and plays well to a click, I think is really important. Do you want to talk about gear?
1: Let's talk just the technical process of recording drums. Sure. And actually, as a matter of fact, when I get asked about this, my f- the first shit I talk about is the drummer. And like right. those types of things, because I feel like tuning the drummer the sticks, all that stuff, that's, like, number one priority, all those things. That's, like, you get all that shit right. The rest
2: is... should be pretty easy. Yeah. It's the simple things, like sticks, like you're talking about.
3: Isn't it always the fundamentals, though, in anything, whether it be producing, mixing, songwriting, engineering?
1: (laughs) Well, the thing is with drums... Drums, you've got so many moving pieces. It's, you know, you have, like, so many pieces that, like, you could fuck it all up by, like, getting all the tuning wrong, for instance?
2: Well, you know, tuning something the right way, quote-unquote, is... I, I don't really tune like that because I don't think there's a right way to tune something because it's always subjective, you know? I, I just tune the drums to uh, how I like drums to sound, which is big and wet and roomy. So I'll, I'll make my shit, like, ring out for as long as I can because I know that... When I'm mixing, I'm going to mix the drums with as much crack and, you know, compression as, like, I'm going to, there's going to be plenty of crack when it, when it comes down to mixing. So, if my drums are wet and ringy mm-hmm. and long and decay, it's going to be okay. And it's just going to add to the flavor of of the drum sound. That's my thing. Another good trick is um, lug locks on a snare. Oh, yeah. You know, um... Keeping, keeping the drum, the snare in tune throughout a song is super key. Dude, I I too I put those on the toms too. Nice, yeah, yeah. Top and bottom. Sure. It's re- it, you know it's really simple. You if you want a good natural sound, like a dynamic sound, you got to make sure you record the drums correctly. And if and if your shit's falling out of tune and the drums kit sounds like shit, like you're gonna you you're gonna want to use samples, you know, and it's gonna kind of lose. You're going you're gonna to come up with a sound that is v- extremely common these days, which is very sampled and fake, which isn't really going to set you apart, isn't going to set your recordings apart, you know? So I think it's that's a big thing, is getting great, natural drum sounds, for sure. Well, I
1: think that if a band... T- I'll say that some bands don't give a shit about real, but when sure. a band says that they do, we always have the conversation about well, then you better realize that we are going to take some time up front getting this right. And you're going to be paying for this drum tech, Matt Brown, to come in. And we're going to be changing heads a lot. And you're going to be not playing a lot because he's going to be tuning a lot. And we're going to be doing this right. Otherwise, you're, we're going to be using lots of samples. And either way, I can make it sound great. But if you want to go the natural way, which I prefer... We got to do this right,
2: right, right, right. No way around it. And you know, you still still using a sample um, on on a real kit is totally fine. Like, yeah, of course. I'll use samples on every record. Oftentimes, though, it's like um, a sample that I took from the kit, especially with the toms on the State Champs record. I have a they'll have a snare sample in the session, and it's the snare that I um, that I took. So that kind of helps you give like a uh, a unique sound, which I you know I think. Has helped me um, set myself apart from other producers, you know, uh, and stuff like that. So, Joel. How you doing? Good. Do you want to do a quick rapid fire round?
3: I kind of feel like we covered a lot of rapid fire, but... Um...
1: We didn't do it on drums or vocal.
3: All right. So I'm going to yell off an instrument or a something attached to a vocal cord and you can uh, tell me what you use on it, how you record it or how you mix it, whatever you want. It's up to you. If you don't want to talk about it, you can be like, you can just pass on it and conceal. So, all right. Screaming, heavy background vocals. SM7.
2: You said screamy background vocals or just screamy vocals in general?
3: Yeah, like screaming background. I, I want would, to I would punt on the question and just send a real softball because everybody's going to be all excited and salivating. And they're going to be like, oh, come on, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I just like uh, to mix it up sometimes.
2: Yeah, totally. I mean, never use an expensive mic on a loud screamer because you're just bound to ruin it. I've done that plenty of times. So, you know, an SM7 into uh, you know my chain which is which I talked about before the neve into the shadow hills you know brighten it up because that sm is gonna be a little dull snare top 57 into a neve preamp into a Distressor. overheads usually end up with 414s. Love Neves, but I also think that, uh, what is that, uh, Great River stuff sounds super, just like the Neve style. I think you could use like a Great River or a Burl or a, or a Neve for overheads.
3: Okay, singing vocals for a female singer.
2: I love this manly that I have. I bought it because it's super bright and crisp and you don't have to, you know, add a lot of top end to it. And it's actually an affordable mic. I would say that the manly, um, manly reference is a great choice.
3: Acoustic guitar.
2: I'll usually just throw my uh you know, my manly on it. Or another one that I really like is the Cam one eighty four. Oh, just right something on right. great mic. Yeah, just something I really love clarity, you know, so whatever I can get to uh, to that point is, is what I'll go after.
3: And last but not least, kick in, meaning like your what would you put on your you know, the inside of your kick drum? Um
2: Anything really, but I usually end up with a you know, the one of those B fifty twos or the the AKG one one twelve.
3: Dude, have you ever tried a beta fifty two on the beater side of the head? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's
2: what I'm talking about. Beta fifty two. Yeah, 52. I could
3: never get it like on the on the front, on the inside, you know, to get to sound good. But I d I don't remember. I was doing a drum forge session somewhere and the dude was like, Dude, why don't you put that mic on the backside? And I you know, I've never tried that mic. And I threw it on the back side and I go Oh listen to like playback. Near I was his like, Holy foot? shit, yeah.
2: Oh, that's weird! Shit,
3: what a difference, man I, I haven't sick. tried that You gotta try it, it's cool. worth experimenting with And if it totally sucks, just send me a very angry email And tell me how <laughs> disappointed you are But when I tried it, I was like, holy shit Now it sounded super badass Where normally, really? it was kind of like dark And I don't know, like I didn't I, did, I think I tried it at your place, AL2 But man, like when I i bet tried it on the backside of the kick by the pedal, I couldn't believe how sick it sounded. It made it sound more like a D6, you know, like more like mm, aggressive. D6s and are modern. fun.
1: Thank, I love them. So
3: I don't know. It's worth trying. I remember, I
2: mean, I, a while back I had a D6 and it's just crazy that like those microphones sound like they have an EQ on it, you know? Yep, that's, I like use them on toms. Yeah, that's awesome.
3: Yeah, bottom tom mics are especially cool with the D6. I just want to, that's something I learned from AL. He had a D6 right. on a bottom of a floor tom or maybe it was a sub kick. I don't know, it was on the bottom of something and I was like, dude, that is the sickest shit. And I went home and I immediately tried it and I was like, "Oh wow, I need like 10 more D6s because man, they really are cool on the bottom of toms."
2: Absolutely. Good good microphone for sure. I like about top 2.
3: They are sick there as well. <laughs> so, all right.
2: So, we
1: have a couple questions from the crowd. There's a crowd? Yeah, there is a crowd. They're well, not right now, but they're they're in our Facebook group and they asked some questions. Oh, cool. So, we could
3: be mean and make them wait to the Q&A. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, that's why I'm not going to ask a crazy amount of these. But uh, No, bring it all. I'm but ready. A couple, a couple of them we should go for. So here's one from Luke Mansell Ward, which is, what are your go-to tips for getting the best take out of a vocalist? And what's your decision process when deciding how to produce a vocalist? For example, which sections you double track and why?
2: Okay. I mean, when it comes down to that, I love dynamic mixes and productions. So I'm going to try and, you know, be as creative as I can when it comes to doubles and harmonies. So for example, if it's a verse, if it's intimate, you're not going to double it. You know what I mean? And if you're going to have a harmony, try and keep it mono. So when, like, the chorus hits, you can spread it. You can spread it with a double harmony, or sometimes you can even quad a vocal track in a chorus. I think just being dynamic with your selection you know when it just how you want to build the song and how you want the final project product to be I think that a lot of people overthink these things and it just makes a lot of sense to
1: follow the curve of the song in ways that it right. makes sense like I've seen guys who double all kinds of weird shit but yeah. when it comes down to it, I really think that it's it's just a, wow. how do you want the vocals to feel at this part do you want them to feel huge? Or do you want them To feel intimate Do you want this word To
2: jump out more Or not Exactly Well said Absolutely I, I learned a lot about From this guy um, Matt Fox In a band called Shy Hulud Because we were doing A hardcore record And I'm like I'm like hey man Don't you like Want to double everything Because it's a hardcore band And he's like no, like what? What are you talking about? And what he was after when we were doing vocals, we were recording Chad Gilbert, and I actually wasn't producing the record. That's why I didn't really have a say any of the, in any of this. But I was recording it. So his thing was just trying to get the right emotion from a take. And even though he's screaming, there's a lot of there's a lot of emotion coming out of it. And sometimes when you double something, you'll lose. The emotion, really. It's kind of the same thing as when you quad guitars, you'll lose tightness. Exactly. And it doesn't mean you don't double things. That means you just got to be selective. You know what I mean? Speaking of Shai Halud, next question is from Jack
1: Hartley, which is, what was your approach to editing and mixing Reach Beyond the Sun by Shai Halud? That, that record sounds really organic. Yet still modern, punchy, and tight.
2: Uh, I mean, a lot of it came down to the recording, though, too. So uh, I'll start with the drums. I remember, first of all, the drummer was is incredible. His name's Matt Covey. I remember we had a lot of fun with the drum tones. We changed the snare drum for a lot of the songs. So there's like six different snares, and I changed it depending on the tempo of the song. If it was super fast, I would crank the snare up and make sure there's like no ring. If it was kind of slow, I would make sure that the snare was super wet and ringy. When it came down to mixing, God, I don't know, man. I just wanted the drums to slam. I wanted the vocals to be super up front and in your face. And it's all about the guitar riffs, so you kind of got to make sure your tones and and when when it comes down to editing, I don't know. I think I gritted the shit out of a lot of the stuff, but some of the some of the stuff I left a little loose. It kind of just depended. But I would say like eighty percent of the guitars are gritted, and uh, but it's very raw. Like everything on that record is very raw sounding. So we tried to, but raw in a tonal way, not like a performance way. If that makes sense. So gritted
1: yet natural. That sounds crazy, and I want to hear it.
2: Gritted but natural i mean i mean i think that i tend to a lot of my records most of it will end up on the grid and being nudged but i think it more has to do with like the dynamics of the performance or the tone that makes it feel like it's yep natural i also will put a lot of
1: my records on the grid and what i'll do is i'll Change the grid to speed up and slow down in places where I think it should. So, like, I've gone to the point of like speeding up fills or cool, or like slowing down fills. Like, if it's like, you know, if it's say that you got a fast part and you end it with triplet fill going into a slow part, like da, 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 whatever. Now slow down the tempo, or, or and have lots of different, lots of tempo changes in the song, but have everything on grid still so that it's perfectly in time. But the tempo ebbs and flows the way that music
2: wants to ebb and flow. Sure, yeah. The Shia Lude record is, I mean, there's so many tempo changes on that record. It's not even funny. You should give it a listen. I hope that answer was good. The answer is good. And I think that a lot of
1: people, you know, when they ask something like that, like, how did you make it sound punchy and tight? And it's like, well, I mean, first of all, the music has to be written in a way to where it can be punchy and tight, right? So, like like you said, it goes back to the recording. And you recorded it in a way that lends itself to that. And then, but if they didn't write music that was meant to sound that way, it wouldn't sound like that. that and that's... It, so it kind of goes back to the basics, the arrangement, the recording. And then, I mean, you answered it. You said you edited to the grid the parts that needed to be super tight <laughs> and right. super punchy. And then you left the other parts alone that needed to have a more quote-unquote organic-y yeah. kind of feel. And then and then you said that the uh, the tones are where the most of the organic
2: element comes from not so much the timing yeah i would say the tones and the performance for sure because like you can you can move shit around and and throw it on the grid but it's still going to be the same part you know what i mean and you do got to edit it the right way and make sure that it's just feels good really
1: i think that that's one of the main things that people need to understand about editing drums is why you don't just let some jackass do it (laughs) Um, Is because you need to have, because like anybody, not anybody, but let's just say that like just learning how to put things on a grid, like robotically, is a lower level skill than learning how to edit drums musically. So editing drums musically involves putting things on the grid, but you have to have the musical judgment to be able to... To know when things are going to be a hundred percent, when they're going to be ninety percent, when the snare's got to be a little behind the beat, when to leave it alone—like all these things—you gotta know. You gotta like feel these things and hear them, and and so it's it's much harder. So, here's the last question. Good question. Thanks. Well, it wasn't my question, but uh, yeah. <laughs> here, here, here's here's the last question. This is from our uh, from our drum tech and uh, Matt Brown, who is drum genius and one of the best engineers I've ever met and uh, he asked what's it like being named after both members of the greatest band ever to exist tenacious oh D. god
3: <laughs> I'm sure uh, you've I get, heard that before I get that a lot
1: <laughs> I'm sure you do
3: the only answer to that is it's fucking awesome yeah
1: <laughs> like he said it is awesome <laughs> what, else five, is, what else is there to say you know well,
2: what's funny is in my background, my on my desktop is Jack Black staring me in the face.
1: Amazing, yeah. Well, I'm I'm sure that you've been hearing that for a while. Yeah, I yeah, have for sure. So, well, <laughs> Kyle, thank you for coming on. Uh, thank it's you. It's been great talking to you. Normally, our podcasts are only like an hour long, and I bet that we could have talked for another two hours. So, for sure. It's been awesome, and I'm very, very much looking forward to the Q&A and doing the whole Nail the Mix thing, hanging out
2: in Orlando. And Me too.
3: It's going to be sick. Yeah. yeah. Thank you
2: so much for having me. And if anyone has any questions, just reach out to me on that forum. Cool.
0: The Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast is brought to you by Focal Audio, the world's reference speaker. For over 30 years, Focal has been designing and manufacturing loudspeakers for the home, speaker drivers for cars, studio monitors for recording studios, and premium quality headphones. Visit Focal.com for more information. To ask us questions, make suggestions, and interact. Visit URM.academy slash podcast and subscribe to Today.